Amen, amen. So excited to be here with you all today. Hey, if you would stay standing, so excited to welcome Scott's edition. Welcome, Chesterfield County Jail. We're so excited to be here with you today. What we've been doing every single start of our service in this series is we've been reciting Psalms 23 together. Can we do that together right now? So you see it up on the screen. We're going to start here. It says this, the Lord is my shepherd. I lack nothing. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. He refreshes my soul. He guides me along the right path for his namesake. Even though I walk through the darkest valley, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil, and my cup overflows. Surely goodness and love will follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Amen, amen. Give somebody a high five as you sit down. 11.15. 11.15. Don't tell the other services, but you are the rowdiest service of all the services. So the other services, if you're watching online, I'm sorry. I love 11.15. You guys come amped up. Listen, can we give it up for everybody that's in the lobby right now? Come on. We are growing Man, it's been so exciting. I mean, it just reminds me of the series we've come out of and next and all the great things that God is doing in our church. I just want to take a minute just to honor our pastor, Pastor Brandon and Katie, who's led us so well through our series and next and all that God's going to do. Thank you so much. So yeah, I'm so thankful for our lead pastor and the way that um, him and Katie lead us so well. And we're so excited about what God's doing. And I know we just left that series. We started a brand new series on Psalms 23, and it's been incredible. Last couple of weeks, you can look back um, on the different services, and it's just been incredible for us to break down this passage. I get a chance to end it today, and it's such a good just ending before we go into Easter, because who's pumped for Easter? Come on, we get to celebrate the risen king. And, you know, I know Katie got a chance to share with you. We're going to have 10 services across all of our locations Um, services on Friday, on Saturday. There's going to be services on Sunday. And I want to tell you right now, man, we are such an invite culture. And so we want to encourage you, invite people. In fact, I want to tell you this. People are more ready than you realize to be evangelized to right now, okay? And, you know, in in the midst of the pandemic, everything we've experienced, like people are searching for hope. They're longing for Jesus. They don't even know it. Ecclesiastes says that there's like this God-sized hole. It says that eternity has been written on the heart of every person. So everybody just, they have this longing for something. So invite them, invite them to church. It's a great way to evangelize. we got those, um, those things you can put in the yard and just promo it. Put it on your, on your Instagram, your Facebook, whatever it is. Go tell your neighbors because I tell you, people will say yes more than you think they will say yes to come to church. It's going to be great. Well, hey, listen, I'm excited to jump into Psalms 23. We've been so refreshed by this, so revitalized. It's been such a renewing passage for us. In fact, I want to tell you, I think Psalms 23, it's so such a popular passage, but it's a psalm, I would say, of trust and of confidence. That's what this psalm is for us. And, you know, all through the series, we've been learning and breaking down. We're going to look at the last two scriptures here. But many of you may have memorized this maybe as a kid. Maybe um, you've kind of grown up with this. It's a very popular passage. It's been translated in several different languages. I mean, it's probably the most popular next to the Lord's Prayer passage in the Bible. I mean, you hear it at funerals. It's, it's in TV shows and movies. You know, people write songs about it. In fact, if you guys don't know Rivers, the guy who's leading today, come on, Rivers is amazing. 
you got to go check out. He wrote a song that's based off of Psalms 23, okay? And it is incredible. And so, I mean, this is a song that's just been, people know this psalm. And it, I want to just point out one thing that I think could be problematic about that, though, is that even though we know it so well, sometimes it can become a little too familiar to us. And we can lose sight of some of the things that are inside of it. You know, I don't know about you, but sometimes I'll, I'll write an email or I'll maybe write something I have to submit or maybe you have to write a report or you're sending a text message. You want it to be perfect and you look it over and over again and then you get somebody to proofread it and then boom, right in front of your face are these grammatical errors or these misspellings, right? That are just right there. You just never saw. And even though you read it over and over again and you know, one of the things I ask the Lord to do a lot of times when I come to a familiar text in the Bible that I've read before, instead of just getting through it, I say, Lord, Cause me to read this like I'm reading it for the very first time. You know, so that's what we want to do today. We want to, we want to approach the text as if we're approaching it for the very first time. There's so much richness in this. In fact, one great theologian, Charles Spurgeon, he said that it is the pearl of the Psalms. Like this is such a precious Psalm tucked away. And, and I want to talk a little bit about who wrote this Psalm just a minute before we dive into it. Because I think it's important for us to know the context of who wrote it. And many scholars have pinpointed that it was actually David when he was king that wrote this psalm. And I want to go out there and say, listen, David was the real deal, okay? And if there's anybody that was credible enough to write a psalm like this, it was David. Because he, he lived it. I mean, he was the real deal. But he was also a guy that really didn't always do things the right way. In fact, he was by no means perfect. He lived a life that was filled with epic struggle, struggles, listen to this, incredible defeats, rejection by his own family. If you look at David's life before he became king, as Samuel the prophet came to anoint David as king, right? And so his father, Jesse, pulled all the sons into the house, but they left David out, tending to the sheep. I mean, he was somebody who had um, scandals that were, became public, embarrassing, and deeply wounding. There were multiple times in his life where Quitting would have been much easier for David. Somehow, though, David always seemed to bounce right back. Like, I think David was the first ever comeback kid. I mean, he was somebody just coming back, coming back, and coming back. And then I think it's because he recognized the importance of owning up to his mistakes, repenting, getting before the Lord, and knowing that the Lord would redeem what had taken place in his life. And so David always did this. David discovered a grace in God that sustained him and kept him in the race. And I think it's important to know that all throughout the scriptures, no one else had this phrase spoken over them. And this is what it was said about actually David and Samuel before he was anointed as king. It said, a man after God's own heart he was. So think about that. He was a man after God's own heart. And so even though David was someone who had committed adultery, even though he tried to cover it up with murder, and he did different things in his life that were disobedient to God, in the Old Testament it was said of him before he became king that he was a man after God's own heart. But here it is in the New Testament. You can actually see it again in the book of Acts. Paul is speaking of him, and he says David was a man after God's own heart. So even before he started a life that had high highs and low lows, and after he was still considered a man after God's own heart. And the reason why I point that out today is I want you to hear this, is God is not looking for perfect people. He's looking to perfect people. He's not looking for perfect. You need to hear this today. The writer of Psalm, Psalm 23, the most popular passage ever, was written by a guy that in our standards probably should have been locked up. <laughs> probably would have lost his position. But he was a man after God's own heart because he knew the importance of continually coming back to the Lord. He lived the story of Psalms 23. He wasn't just poetically writing about it. He lived the story of Psalms 23. He knew what it was like to experience green pastures. He knew what it was like to, to be led by still waters. He knew what it was like to be restored. He was restored time and time again. 
and since his protection in the darkness of valleys, and it all comes now down to verse five, and this is where we end right here the passage. David says this. David says, you prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. He says, you anoint my head with oil and my cup overflows. Surely goodness and mercy will follow me all the days of my life and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Come on, say that with me. I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Let's pray together. We're gonna pray over this text online in the room. Let's pray together. Jesus, we thank you so much, God, that you're not looking for perfect people. (laughs) but you're looking to perfect people, Father. And that we recognize today, Lord, that we have to trust in you with all of our heart, lean not on our own understanding, but in all of our ways, come to know you, acknowledge you. And this is what you do. You make our path straight. So Father, today I pray that we would capture the essence of, of this passage in our heart as we conclude it, and we would recognize and know who you are, that you're a God that's with us. We love you. We ask this in your name. Speak through me and to all people watching along in the room today, God. We love you. And we say, amen, amen, amen. amen. You know, I really love this passage, and I want to just look at the way it starts before we go to the ending here. It starts off by saying, the Lord is, and I love this because it's a reality of a God who is, and it's important that we pick up on this. How many know and how many are excited that God is alive and well? Come on. He's alive and well. He's a God who is. He's not just a God who was. He's a God who is and a God that is to come. It says that he's the alpha and the omega. He's the beginning and end. He's the author and the perfecter of your faith. Listen, he is active in your life right now. He's a God that is. And the reality of this is ultimately the reality of our own personal victory. That no obstacle, no circumstance has the ability. Listen, no obstacle, no circumstance in your life has the ability to overcome the Lord is. And this is how David starts. He says, the Lord is. Today, what I want to look at in the end of this passage is who God is in these last few verses. And first, he starts off right here, and David says, you, God, prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. And I love this because he's saying, so while my enemies are wanting to pick a fight with me, you tell me to sit down and eat a meal, right? Come on. I mean, how different is that from our thinking? While we're, while we're getting engaged with, you're saying, I want you to chill, and I want you to sit down, and I want you to eat a meal. And I say, thank you, Jesus, for that. And what this shows me here is that God is actually my defender. I don't need to defend myself. God is actually my defender. He's my victor. And I want to just teach you a couple names of God as we go through this passage. And the first name of God right here for God is my defender is Jehovah Nisi. And it literally means this. It means he is my banner of victory. I love that. He's my banner of victory. He goes up before me in every fight and he says, I've already won. How many are thankful he's already won? Amen. And we remind ourselves that Jehovah Nisi is a God that's already won. The battle's already been won. In fact, I love how 1 Corinthians 15, as we're getting ready for Easter, It says, death has been swallowed up in victory. Where, O death, is your sting? Where is your victory? The sting of death is in sin, and the power of sin is in law. But thanks be to God, he gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. We get to walk victoriously every day because of something, not that we've done, but because of what he has done. And it says that he goes ahead of you with this banner of victory in every fight, and he says, the enemies have already been defeated. You know, I think about the song we sang today, I raise a hallelujah in the presence of my enemies. Think about the songs that we sing. We say, when I fight, I fight on my knees with my hands lifted high. Because the battle belongs to you, God. Daily, you have to remind yourself that God is your defender. He's your defender. He fights for you. He goes ahead of you. 
And I believe that this psalm right now, when we look at it, it's really reminiscent a little bit of like when the Israelites left captivity in Egypt. Now, I can see how this name of God is fresh on David's, his mind, and he's thinking about the stories of what God has done, and, and he, he considers the moment maybe when, when the Israelites are being pursued by the Egyptians. They just left Egypt, and then all of a sudden, they come to this immovable object in front of them. It's the Red Sea, and it's this epic moment right here where the Israelites are like, what are we supposed to do? Our enemies are about to surround us, and we have the Red Sea in front of us. There's no way that we can conquer the enemy, and Moses looks to them in Exodus 14, 14. And he says to them, do not be afraid, for today you will see the deliverance of your Lord. He says, the Lord will fight for you. And this is what he says. He goes, you need only to be still. I don't know about you, but how how many know it's hard to be still sometimes? You may even be in the room. You're like, man, I like a good fight every now and then, right? Like, I'm ready to fight. Like, I'm ready to get after it. You know, I want it. But the Lord says, no, no, no. Here's what I want you to do. I want you to be still. When you live under a God who is your defender, you recognize and know that you do not have the ability to win your own battle apart from him, but you do it in conjunction with him. In fact, I love how 2 Thessalonians says it. It says, but the Lord is faithful, continually faithful in your life, and he will strengthen you and protect you from the evil one. I don't know about you, but how many are so thankful that God fights for us? That no weapon, it says, formed against me shall prosper. That it says, greater is he that is in me than he that is in the world. That it says right now that when we look at the scriptures, we see that if God is for us, who can be against us? Time and time again, we're recognizing that we're more than conquerors. Jesus even said himself, in this life, you're going to have trouble. You're going to have friction. But he says, take heart, for I've overcome the world. On and on, we see how God is constantly reminding us that he is our defender. And here David says, here's what your defender does. He prepares a table, and he puts it in the middle of your enemies. In the middle of your enemies. Now, if I was writing this, I would say, God, if you're going to prepare a table, that's awesome. But I think you should say, you prepare a table before me in your presence, God, right? Like, take out my enemies, smoke my enemies, and then I want to sit just with you. Just you and me. I don't want any kind of distractions. I just want you and me to sit together. But but that's not what it says. And there's something really powerful about this. God says, I'm going to prepare a table before you, and I'm going to do it right in the middle of the conflict. He says, I'm going to do it right in the middle of the diagnosis, right in the middle of the family dysfunction, right in the middle of the mess, right in the middle of the stress, right in the middle of the uncertainty, right in the middle of any internal, external circumstance you're dealing with right now. God says, I'm going to put a table right in front of you in the middle of it all. And you know, what is this table? This table is a, is a table of nourishment. It's a, it's a table of fellowship. It's a, it's a table of interaction. It's a table of exchange. And God says, I've prepared a table for two. Literally, he says, come. He says, come. He says, sit. He's like, I want to sit with you. But you're like, man, there's so much happening right now. And he's like, no, it's okay. I want you to come sit, drink, eat. You know, God is constantly waiting for us to come and sit at the table. And this table is a banquet. It's a feast. And, you know, what does this mean? God actually wants you to know this today. He wants to have an intimate, real, tangible relationship with you. The creator of the universe says, I want to meet with you. Now listen, he doesn't promise to minimize your enemies. He doesn't promise to wipe out your enemies. He just promises to put a table for you in the presence of everything that you're experiencing. And the most powerful thing about it is really not what's on the table, but it's actually who is at the table with you. That's the most powerful thing. That God, my defender, sits with me. God is providing, he's nourishing us in the midst of trouble But we only know that when we actually choose to sit at the table. You know, I could prepare, or Bridget, my wife, we could prepare food. 
you know, for our kids all day long, right? But if they don't come to the table, they're not going to eat. You know, sometimes we can really, we can, we can take something so simplistic and we can complicate it. Like God is constantly providing, but we have a choice to actually come and sit. And you know, the enemy, he knows that the battle has already been won. Listen, the enemy, he knows probably more about the victory of God than we do, right? He knows the scriptures back and front more than we do. So his game plan is not to try to win the battle. His game plan is to get inside our heads to distract us. His game plan is to say, okay, you want to sit at the table? I'm going to do everything I can to keep you away from the table. In fact, I wrote it down this way. You don't win the battles by fighting against the lies of the enemy. Listen to this. You win the battles by feasting on the truths of God's word. It moves you away from the focus being the enemies and recognizing that although you may be surrounded by enemies, the truth is is you're actually surrounded by the presence of God when you're seated at the table. And what's the word? You know, you think about John, book of John, the word. What is the word? In John it says, in the beginning was the word, and the word was God, and the word was with God. Jesus is the living word. Like we get to feast on him. I know it can sound kind of weird, and even when you think about the context of communion, but every single thing that we need can actually be found in him. In fact, Matthew 4, 4 says that men cannot live on bread alone, but every word that comes forth from the mouth of God. And so what does that mean? Everything in your life is attached to his voice. Everything in your life is attached to his voice. John 15 talks about, and it says that I, Jesus says, I'm the vine and you're the branches. He says, apart from me, you can't do anything. But when you're with me, when you remain in me and I remain in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done. All through scripture, we recognize that God desires to have a partnership with us. And David is saying right here, he's saying, he's saying, come to the table. He continues on in the passage and he says this, he says, you anoint my head with oil and my cup overflows. He says, you anoint my head with oil and my cup overflows. You know, anointing means, it means he gives us a supernatural ability. Like the hand of God is actually on me. I'm anointed. I'm changed. And I think recognizing the anointing of your life and the power it comes with is so vital. Like you are anointed. Do you understand that? Like David, before he became king, you see this picture in Samuel in Jesse's house when Samuel comes and, and he finally chooses David. What does he do? He anoints his head with oil. It was a setting apart. And I think a lot of us believers who are walking in faith, trusting Jesus with our lives, need to recognize that you also are anointed. You're anointed. You're anointed. God has set you apart. He's put a calling on your life. And whether or not you walk in that calling or not, God has still anointed you. He's still prepared you for whatever assignments and places he's going to send you to, to whatever things he's placed right in front of you. He's going to give you every single thing that you need. And I love this word right here. This is actually, not only is God our defender, but God is also my sanctifier. And the the covenant name of God for that is Jehovah Makedesh. And it literally means God has set me apart for something special. He's called me to something bigger than myself. There's something you were called to do. He's repurposed you. He's transformed you. The old is gone and the new has come. And sometimes we ask ourselves, how could God ever use me? Like, how could God ever use me? And I think First Peter says it so well here. It says, but you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood. This is speaking about those who are in Christ, a holy nation, God's special possession. I want you to know, I'm going to pause here for a second. The enemy wants to rob us of this truth right now. He wants to think that we're just mediocre, that there's nothing special about us, and that we have no authority and no power. This is his game plan. 
This is why it's hard for us at times to sit at the table and receive from the Lord because we don't recognize and know that when we sit with him, the Lord sets us apart. It says, you're a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession, that you may declare with confidence the praises of him who called you out of darkness into this wonderful light. This is what we get when we recognize the inheritance that we have and the adoption into, into the, the family of Christ, if you will. You know, there's nothing we can ever do to earn it. It's so important for us to know that. We can't do anything to earn this, but it's by faith, by grace through faith that we've been saved. And it's a gift from God, nothing that we can boast about. And because of that, we get this amazing relationship with the Lord. And, and you even see it in Jesus' life. Jesus was anointed. In Luke 4, 18, it says, the spirit of the Lord is upon me, Jesus says, because he has anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. At the table, you're anointed, you're set apart, you're empowered. And now David gives you this great image. Not only is God setting you apart, not only is he anointing you, he's actually giving you more into your cup. You know, I think it's important for us to recognize and know that like the cup represents like a banquet. Like it, it represents a celebration. It, it represents like um, just the good things that God has done in your life, but a celebration of where he's brought you from, even though it may be in va- uh, valleys of shadow of death, even though it may be in seasons where you might ha- have needed to be restored. The cup represents right now something that's overflowing. And I really believe that it's so important for us to know that everything that we need to accomplish the things that God has set us apart for, he provides for us. Like he gives to us. It's not a cup that's half empty. It's not a cup that's half full. It is a cup that is overflowing, which means that it's continually being poured into. And it's so like vital that we grasp that at the table, God is not only anointing us, but he is actually preparing us. He's actually giving us everything that we need. In fact, I think it's, you know, I think about like what a good father would do, right? A good father wouldn't send you on a mission and you got to figure out how to do it. He's going to put everything within your reach so that you have exactly what you need. And that's what it looks like when our cup is overflowing at the table. You know, I love the the book. If you haven't picked it up, we have it the next steps. It's a, a shepherd's look at Psalms 23 written by a shepherd. And the shepherd actually talks about like this anointing experience that happens with with sheep and how he has to do it because it's like a form of protection, but it's also a a way for for him to help the animals who are a little like just aggravated by bugs that would go up in their nose and do all kinds of things and drive them crazy. It even says in the book that sometimes the sheep would like bang their head up against the rocks because they were confused. And it says that oil, what it would do is it kind of would calm them. In fact, this is what he says about it. He goes, what an incredible transformation this makes among the sheep. Once the oil has been applied to the sheep's head, there was immediate change in behavior. Gone was the aggravation, gone the frenzy, gone the irritability and the restlessness. Instead, of the, instead, the sheep would start to feed quietly again and soon lie down in peaceful contentment. And this is what happens when we come to the table of the Lord. He anoints us with oil. It begins to transform us. We're transformed in his presence We're made into something brand new. Every single day, we have an opportunity to go from glory to glory to glory, and we'll never be the same. I'll tell you, never neglect coming to the table because there's still work that God's continuing to do in all of our lives. And here's what he does. He not only anoints us, he fills up our cup. He gives us everything we need to accomplish what he's placed right in front of us. And so David is giving thanks to the Lord in this moment. He's giving thanks at the banqueting table, and then he shifts his attention, and he says this. He says, surely goodness and mercy will follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. He says, surely goodness and mercy, it's going to follow me wherever I go. And I love this image because it gives you this, this idea, and we heard about it a little, little bit last week, of like goodness and mercy being these sheepdogs that are kind of just following behind you, right? 
Like that's what was happening to the sheep. You know, the banner of victory, the shepherd was going ahead of them, but this goodness and mercy was just coming behind them, nipping at their feet, right? Like the only thing that's nipping at your feet is not criticism or, or judgment or condemnation. The only thing that's nipping at your feet is goodness and mercy. It's like, hey, Joel, I'm gonna keep you in line, right? Every time you kind of go off on the wrong side that you shouldn't go, I'm gonna come back, I'm gonna nip at your feet and tell you, come on back. You gotta be in this area right here. Constantly, goodness and mercy, David said, was following him all the days of his life. And you know, I think... There wasn't a truer person to make that statement than David. Because David was a guy that wandered a lot. Maybe veered off the path. He knew what it was like to have to be put back in the line. Knew what it was like to have to be restored. Knew what it was like to have to be made to lie down in green pastures. To be led by still waters. Knew what it was like to walk through the darkest valley. In fact, you know, some scholars say that when he was writing, penning Psalms 23, he could have been in a cave somewhere because his son, while he was king, his son Absalom was trying to kill him. You talk about a God that has, that has truly lived this passage, but at the end of it, he says, surely goodness and mercy will follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Not only is God our defender, not only is God our sanctifier, but this is an amazing name of God that I think is so important for us. God is present. In fact, the word for this right here is this, is he is Jehovah Shammah. And what that actually means, it literally means the Lord is there. How many are thankful and believe right now that the Lord is here and the Lord is there? He's my constant companion. He's my helper in time of need. He's my guide, my protector. He goes before me. You know, if I go in the office, God is there. If, I, if I'm in the hospital, God is there. If I'm in the jail, God is there. Wherever you're watching online right now, I want you to know God is not just contained to a building. God is Jehovah Shema, and he is there, right there in the middle of it all with you. God is with us. And we remind ourselves of this. In fact, I love how Psalms 193 says this. David says this. He actually says, where can I go from your spirit? He says, where can I flee from your presence? If I go up in heaven, you're there. If I make my bed in the depths, it says, you're there. If I rise in the wings of the dawn, if I settle on the far side of the sea, even there your hand will guide me. Your right hand will hold me fast. God is there. And Hebrews 13 says it like this. It says, God has said, never will I leave you. Never will I forsake you. And so we say with confidence, the Lord is my helper. I will not be afraid. What can man do to me? The Lord will never leave us, never forsake us. He's always with us. And this is why it's important for us to know not only is he going before us, but he's coming behind us with goodness and mercy. And every day I get to say to the Lord, Lord, thank you for being there. Even when I don't show up, God. Even when I have been so distracted by my enemies and I've chosen not to sit at the table, God, you are still there. You don't say, where have you been? You don't say, I'm not going to prepare a meal this time. If you don't show up next time, you don't do any of that, God. I say, God, thank you so much that the table is always available for me to come and sit and eat because God is there. You know, I saw Charles Spurgeon say it this way, great theologian. He says, Goodness actually supplies all of our needs and mercy blots out our sins. So this is what's happening to us every single day. Everything we need will be supplied for us. And then mercy will come alongside and during the mistakes and the failures of our life, during the letdowns, the low lows, whatever may be taking place, and mercy's gonna come and it's gonna blot out our sins. It's like these sheepdogs are just saying, you gotta stay on course. We're gonna keep you going the path that you need to go. And I love the image all through the New Testament of Jesus now being the good shepherd. You see how he would leave the 99 and search for the one. And I want you to hear this today. You're not so far from God that he can't get to you. God is going to follow you wherever you go. 
You know, when we come to the end of this passage, we start to realize that all throughout this passage, David is talking about a shepherd who does things for him. A shepherd that provides everything he needs. A shepherd in verse two, right, that leads him beside still waters, makes him lie down in green pastures. A shepherd that restores, leads him in paths of righteousness. A shepherd that's there in the valley of the shadow of death. And every single part of verse one through five, before we get to verse six, every single part of verse one through five prepares a table, anoints it our head. The shepherd does. He's the one doing it. It isn't until verse six that it's something that the sheep have to do. And it says, David says, I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. So what that means is that the Lord does all of this for us and the only thing required from us is to dwell in the house of the Lord. You know, when you look up the Hebrew word for dwell, it actually means to return to the house. It means to return to God. And what God is saying to us is like, I prepared this table in the presence of your enemies. I'm ready to anoint you as you come. It's gonna bring healing. It's gonna bring restoration, this anointing. It's gonna set you apart. It's gonna make you realize that you're sanctified and that you're empowered by my presence. And then I'm gonna pour into this cup and, and I'm gonna, it's gonna overflow because anything you need, you're, you're gonna be, it's gonna be given to you. But all I need you to do is come. That's all you need to do. You don't need to white knuckle it anymore. You don't need to, to work hard to receive it or achieve it or obtain it. All you need to do is come. You know, many years ago, I, I learned the importance of dwelling with God. It was one of those seasons where I was made to lie down in green pastures, you know. And I really believe that if you don't, if you don't do it, sometimes it's kind of forced upon you, right, in your own life. And I was actually like... Um, in my third year of my undergrad, I was a junior, and I was studying to be a pastor, and I had to do an internship. And um, the internship actually was in North Carolina, Concord, North Carolina. Anybody from North Carolina? Come on, anybody in North Carolina? All right. Well, I am not from North Carolina. <laughs> I'm actually from New York City, so I didn't know anything about North Carolina. Um, I'm a son of an inner city church planner, and um, I was born in the Bronx. My father's still there. He's still pastoring. Been 47 years there, and and I got connected with this church in North Carolina. And um, I remember I had this opportunity to be with a host home, and they were going to like host me all summer long, and and I was going to do ministry at the church, get equipped, learn, grow as a leader. And I remember leaving Penn Station in Manhattan and getting on the Amtrak and taking it all the way down to Concord, North Carolina. And I'd never been there before. And um, I was excited. I got there late on a Friday night. It was about 10.30 at night. I can't remember the guy's name, but I could still see his face. He picked me up. I never met him before. And I got in the car with him. He's like, man, we're so excited that you're here with us for the summer to be an intern. He goes, there's just been a little change in plans. And I said, okay. He goes, you know, the host home that was going to host you, they can no longer host you. And, and, you know, they had something come up. But we have your own place for you. I was like, that sounds great. I have my own place all summer. This is awesome, you know. Been living with my parents, been at college. Now I get my own place for the first time. And so we start driving like it's late in the evening and he makes this turn on like this, this like dirt road going into the woods. And you know, I'm a guy from New York City, okay? You can drop me off in the projects. I'll do all right. But if you bring me to the boonies, I don't know what's happening. I don't know what's going on. And I'm like, I don't know this guy. The plans changed while I was on the train. So I'm like, this guy's gonna kill me. That's what's gonna happen right now. And so we, we get to this cabin in the woods. Man, I can still see it. And it's like, it's like I walk in there 
And no exaggeration, there was a mattress on the floor. There was a table with two chairs. And, you know, we had picked up a few things on the way, grocery-wise. I need to add that in the story because yesterday, or this morning, a couple services ago, they're like, did you have anything to eat? I'm like, yes, I did have something to eat. We stopped. And we get there, and I didn't have a car, and it's Friday night, and he was like, hey, so excited you're here. I'll pick you up Sunday morning for church. <laughs> and I was like, you're what? <laughs> and he just left. And I was very afraid. I'm going to be honest with you. I didn't know what was going on. I mean, I could hear, I can go to sleep with sirens at nighttime, people playing basketball outside my window. But like, you put me with crickets, it freaks me out. And so, you know, the first couple of nights were really tough. And then I went to church, met people at the church, started doing my internship. But, but when I was done with my duties at the church, I came back to this house where there was no internet. There was, there was no wireless. I had to like literally walk to like this little hill to get any kind of, I had the, one of those Nextel bleeps. Anybody have the Nextel bleep phones? Come on. To like get cell service. And I'll tell you, it was one of the most transforming, transformational seasons of my life. Because I was faced with something that I think at times can be very scary, and that's silence. In fact, I think sometimes silence can be the loudest noise in your life. And I think a lot of times we're afraid to sit at the table because we can't control what's happening. Like I can't control what's happening, so I gotta go do something. I gotta go hustle. I gotta go make it work. I gotta go, I gotta go fight my enemies. I'm, I don't have time to just sit with you, Lord, because I got a lot of stuff going on. And the whole time, the Lord was saying to me that summer, come sit. You know, that summer I learned that my conversation with God was not just a one-sided one. It's actually two-sided. There's a lot of things that God wants to speak to you, but it only happens when you're ready to return to the Lord and to make it a daily practice. In fact, I picked up this book called Practicing the Presence of God. It's a small little book by a guy named Brother Lawrence. And he was a, he was a dishwasher at a monastery. And he was just talking about how even in the mundane tasks of every day, you can be in the presence of God. Yeah, we experience the presence of God here, and it's amazing, but I want you to know you can experience the presence of God as soon as you leave this place because he is Jehovah Shammah. He's always with you. You know, as we leave today, I want to leave you with just three things that I think are very practical for us, very practical and very easy for us because I think that we're in a season right now where we need to begin to say, Lord, I'm ready to dwell in your house. I'm ready to sit at the table. I'm ready to surrender every single conflict, every single thing that's weighing heavy on my heart. I want to come before you. And so how do we do that today? Here's the first thing. We have to learn to press into God's word. And I'll tell you, I love this word so much. But if you're like me, sometimes you can find yourself distracted and maybe at times not even reading it. And I want you to know it. That's not because you don't love the word. That's because there's a great adversary out there that wants to come steal, kill, and destroy. And he wants to keep you away from God's word. He wants to keep you away from the table. In fact, I've said this before, and I think it's so true. Complaining about a silent God while your Bible's closed is like complaining about not receiving text messages when your phone's off, right? It's just, it's just not going to work. And so if you're at a place, you're like, man, I, 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 where is God in my trouble? Where is God in this? And how do I get it? The truth is this, is when we press into God's word, we begin to recognize that sitting at the table is the only thing he requires from us. He's made a way for everything else. He's been, he's been God, our defender. He's been God, our sanctifier. And now he wants us to just sit so he can be the God who is there. Here's the second thing I want to leave you with today, and it's this. We got to learn to practice prayer in solitude. 
Man, I learned what that meant. Like I said earlier, I learned in that season that silence was literally the loudest noise in my life. Because there's only so much you can say to the Lord when you're in a cabin by yourself in North Carolina. But I want you to know that when you spend time with the Lord, it is so enriching. In fact, sometimes I feel like what I have to do, even when I'm reading God's word or I'm like pressing in, sometimes I say, you know what I'm gonna do? I'm gonna open up your Bible, God, and I'm just gonna read until you speak to me. I'm not gonna make it about how many chapters I'm gonna read. I'm not gonna make it about did I read today or not. I'm gonna make it about hearing your voice because I really believe that as we read the word of God, it actually reads us. That as we read the word of God, it actually becomes alive and the Holy Spirit speaks truth to us. So we've gotta learn to practice being in prayer, practice being in solitude, practice not talking and just listening and receiving. And here's the last thing I wanna say today is this, is we gotta practice participating in community. And you know, you're doing that right now. You are participating in community online. You are participating in community. You are making steps to return to the house of the Lord. You're fellowshipping with other believers. And I'll tell you, I love all the times I have one-on-one with the Lord, but I so love the corporate gatherings as well. Like, this is so important. I'm so thankful that we're in a season now where we can really begin to return back to church, be here physically, that we have a way that we can stream to the jail online, that we have a way that people can see this if they miss a Sunday. Listen, you're participating in community. This is amazing that you're here. You made a conscious effort, and you said, I'm going to come to church today. I want you to know right now, that means that you're saying, God, I want to come close to you. God, I want to be near you. This is why we promote small groups. This is why we talk about growth track, because we recognize and know that being in community is so vital. In fact, I think that there's some things that God actually wants to speak to you that he is not speaking to you yet until you put yourself in community, because there's some things he's going to say to you that he's actually going to say through someone else. There's some amazing things God has spoken to my life that he actually has used someone else to say to me. And I've been able to also do that for other people. Being in a community is such a powerful thing. And I want you to know today that we have an opportunity to be with a God who is there. This whole series that we've been in, Psalms 23, has led us to this place where we can say, Lord, I want to dwell in your house today. I want to return to the house of the Lord. How many want to return to the house of the Lord? Amen. Come on. I want to return. So I'd love to pray over us today. I want to pray over Psalms 23, over our lives. Would you stand with me as we close out this series? Because I think there's something very powerful that God is doing in the midst of his presence. And sometimes we can miss it when we're distracted by our enemies, when we're distracted by the complications, when we're distracted by the friction, when we're distracted by the failures of our life, when we're distracted by the trouble that's happening. And so in this moment right now, if you would just close your eyes and if you're comfortable lifting your hands, we're gonna receive from the Lord. As we just pray through Psalm 23, and I want you to participate with me. We're gonna give thanks to him. We're gonna praise him. So God, we thank you right now, Father. We thank you that you are our shepherd, Lord. That God, we lack nothing, Father. We give you praise right now, God, because everything we need can actually be found in you. We thank you, Lord, that you're the one that makes us lie down in green pastures, and you even do it sometimes when we don't want to, God, but you actually put us in a place so that we can receive from you, God. You know that there's a speed limit to our soul, Father, and so you say it's time to rest. God, we thank you that you lead us beside still waters. God, not chaotic waters, not rough waters, 
When you say, now you're at a place right now where you're gonna listen to stillness, to the still waters, and I'm gonna restore your soul. I think about the great picture we had when Pastor Brandon mentioned about the sheep that was turned upside down and the shepherd would come alongside in those moments and he would restore that sheep to the right standing. God, we thank you, Father, that you place our feet on our rock, God, that you put us on firm foundation, that you're a God that's in the business of restoring, God. You're in the business, God, not of casting us out, but saying, let's try this again, Father. We thank you so much, God, that you're a God that leads us in paths of righteousness for your namesake. And even though we walk, God, through the darkest valleys of life at time, God, we will fear no evil for you are with us, God. Father, your rod and your staff, they comfort us, they protect us, Lord. You're a God that has vengeance in your heart, Father, but you're also a God that is victorious, Lord. And God, you prepare a table in the presence of our enemies right now, Jesus. Everything we need can be found in you. You anoint our head with oil, God. You set us apart. You sanctified us. You anointed us, God. And our cup now overflows, Jesus. And it says, surely goodness and mercy. All the days of my life, I'll be chased after goodness and mercy. Not condemnation. Not, 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 not the judgmentalness, Father. But right now, Lord, you're chasing after us for your goodness and your mercy. And it says, I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Lord God, we give you praise and we get to dwell with you. Come on, let's just praise him right now. Jesus, we love you, God. We love you, Father. We love to sing your praises, Lord. That we get to dwell in your house, Father. Come on, let's sing this together.